my friend Nick Warner. Welcome to Peak Mind, my friend. How you doing, Michael? It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So uh, for those listening, uh, Nick is, is a friend um, that I met actually more recently. Um, I had heard of his work as it related to mature masculinity and had seen some of his posts um, as it related to the archetypes of mature masculine and um, basically wind up participating in one of his programs called The Empowered Man. And uh, I've had a background, many of the in the audience will have heard some of this before, but doing men's work with my father, actually. So I did something called the Mankind Project back in, in 2003 and uh, did integration with those, those, those group of brothers for about four years. And it led to a sea change in my life unequivocally from sort of a dark night of the soul to winding up getting into grad school and getting a full fellowship and moving to New York City and you know, led me to Global Citizen. And it was a, it was a revolution in my own life. Um, and when I think about where it started uh, with my girlfriend sort of cheating on me after I had moved across the country and, and, and turning to, to booze and all kinds of things to numb myself, and then actually being pulled out by my father and a group of brothers, I, I attribute that to being one of the most uh, pivotal moments in my life. And I really feel like this is a conversation that needs to happen more frequently. I think there's a, there's a, there's a, a huge absence of rites of passage, which I think has demarcated, uh, you know, the passage into the mature masculine since time immemorial. And so we need, we need new models and we need new leaders in the space. And so I was really excited to, to have Nick on because I'd love to share a, a bit about, you know, the archetypes of mature masculine and, and processes we can use to, uh, to really step up and step into all and more fully into ourselves. So Nick, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, that, um, that story that you shared resonates also with me because there's, there's generally or typically there's, there is some kind of event that really kind of, it, it's, a, it's a pivotal moment in a man's life where everything just turns to shit. And he then has to pick himself up and go through that hero's journey. And yeah, I had a very similar thing with my marriage falling apart, wife having an affair, and I was just, I was in tatters. And that was kind of the beginning of my journey. And going on this mission for three and a half years, I traveled the world and kind of, did all I could to heal myself and to learn these modalities of healing that were the most powerful for me. And it ended up the result became getting into men's work. Um, so yeah, yeah, your story resonates. Yeah. So for those, for those who uh, let, let's start there actually, because I think that sort of dark night of the soul is where many people, you know, may be at the moment, obviously we, we've been in a, in a challenging time collectively. Um, but I, I think individually, we, we all go through these, uh, you know, in the, in the Jungians, you know, Jung says basically in the hero's journey, there's always a descent before the, you know, the ultimate ascent, the ultimate transcendence, right? And that's, that's a, I mean, it's a pretty common uh, narrative as it relates to, 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 the, to this heroic journey. But it, it doesn't feel heroic when you're, when you're in the shit, so to speak. Uh, for me, just to, to start with vulnerability, because I feel like it always... Uh, it always supports, um, you know, I had moved across the country for the first time, actually trusted uh, to move in with a partner. And uh, two weeks into moving all of our collective belongings across the country, 
leaving, but I was performing Kapuwood. I was represented by a gallery, had a great job, was had a, you know, my family was all in Chicago, left all that behind to support her as she moved for graduate school to the Bay Area. And two weeks after we moved, literally after we moved all of our things into a place together, she didn't, she didn't show up for two nights. She just, uh, she had a, yeah, I mean, we weren't married, so it wasn't, I guess, an affair, but basically uh, she sabotaged that relationship. And uh, I, I just remember looking under the cabinet where I was recycling my beer bottles and the entire, the entire under the area of the sink was covered in beer bottles. And you know, I was smoking weed and, and doing all the things I could to numb myself. And my father, and this is part of and many who listen to the show will know of, of my closeness, which I, I recognize is extraordinarily rare and fortunate uh, in terms of my relationship with my father. But part of the reason I developed such a, a strong relationship with my father is he, he noticed this, this, this dark night, if you will. And he had been part of something called the Mankind Project which at the time was called the new warrior training, which was very early days of this, uh, this, this early men's movement. I think it was in the late seventies or early eighties. He was one of the first men to go through this, this, this weekend. And I was uh, in a tough place financially. I mean, you know, when shit hits the fan, oftentimes everything hits the fan. And he, his, his men's group actually sponsored me to go through the weekend. And he actually, flew out to staff that weekend and at that time i don't know how it is today but at that time you actually had to pay to volunteer to staff and so there was a group of i think it was 175 men uh going through the process in northern california and my father was the only father that was present and without going into details because it's you know there i have a commitment to kind of keeping that work um private but but what I can say is I went through basically a ritual rebirth. I was, I was ritually reborn and my father was there to, uh, to receive me, to hold space and to receive me. And from that day forward, um, going from, I would say, basically rock bottom, I, I wound up meeting voluntarily with that group of men that I had gone through the process with, a group of about five of them uh, in Oakland, California, for four years and moved through some really deep, deep, deep dark shadow shit uh, so it wasn't wasn't exclusively that weekend but the weekend was a demarcation and i resonate with you sharing you know three and a half year journey it definitely was a it was a, about the same time for me three and a half four years obviously it's it's ongoing but uh mm. i remember i remember actually my going away uh party if you will with those that group of men as i was about to leave uh and move to to new york and I remember one of the brothers basically saying to me that it had been an absolute sea change to witness who I was when I came in and who I was when I was leaving. And I share that simply to say for anyone listening who's, who's really in it right now and really feeling the shit of it all, um, there's definitely a way way out, but it's definitely through in my experience. Uh, there's no there's no bypassing. You got to go really deep into the into the you know the dark the, the cave so to speak and slay the dragons within and it's 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 still a process I'm I'm committed to which which is actually what led me to 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 working with you actually so um, but I'd love to hear your story because you were actually further in you were you were in a you were in a marriage and I imagine um, you know had had your own sort of dark night of the soul but what what did that kind of to the degree that you're, you're willing to share, 
what did that look like? And how did you sort of, what were the tools that you were able to use to pull yourself out of that, that dark night? Yeah, I mean, I've been asked a similar kind of similar questions before, but nothing that specific, which is nice because the reason the, the masculine archetypes became such a powerful tool for me was because I was able to see the shadow of the king, the shadow of the warrior, and where these played out in my life. And, and a, a, a crucial piece, which I never realized, but was growing up, I would always give my power away to women, to the feminine. And what that looked like when I was younger was I, instead of going to the university that I wanted, I chose another one. So I'd be close to my girlfriend. And then, you know, just kind of really crucial pieces of my life were shifted because rather than following my own journey, my own purpose, I would give that power away to the feminine. And same thing happened when I met my partner at university. I was studying architecture. I was really fucking good at what I was doing and I had contacts and networks everywhere. I was in studying in Perth in Australia and I could get a job anywhere. Like I was living, I was fully, I was deep in the flow and I was just loving life. And she's like, Hey, she just signed a, an agency in New York. And she's like, Hey, do you want to move to New York with me once you graduate? And I was in this state. I was like, fuck yeah, let's do that. Work as an architect in New York. Perfect. But I got there, start of 2009, financial crisis is full force. You know, 75% of architects had lost their jobs. I had no contacts, no networks, and I was a fucking mess. And I had, I was working like kind of at a dive bar making tips because the visa that I had, like it was just, my life became a real, real dark place. And I got into drugs and I got, pretty heavily into drugs and we ended up we battled our way for a couple of years in New York before we finally managed to break free and move to Berlin she did a job in Berlin in the in the springtime and she comes back to New York she's like hey let's just get out of here and move to Berlin and I was like yeah <laughs> anything so I moved to Berlin and life became much better it was kind of moving from this dark winter to kind of the spring to the summer. And like I was working as an architect now, not just unpaid internships and, but I was still in drugs and I still wasn't really fully convinced that what I was doing was what I should have been doing. And over the course of a few years with my lack of purpose and lack of direction, having given my kind of, put all, all of my eggs into her basket, so to speak. The marriage started to break down and then, um, yeah, she ended up, and I take, I actually take full responsibility and it took me a long time to see that. I, for quite a while, I played the victim. You know, like, oh, my wife had an affair. My wife did this to me. And then at some point I'm like, fuck, man, that was, it, that was the greatest thing that has ever happened to me hmm. because it just, it was like this universal slap across the face of like, dude, wake the fuck up. Yeah. Like you have created this life for yourself. And now you're trying to blame other people rather than take responsibility. Yeah. So I ended up gathering my shit together and going traveling. And I just, I went on this mission to, to heal and to kind of 
work out what I actually wanted to be doing. And I was, I was in the jungle in Peru and I said to someone, how do you tell the difference between your head and your heart? And she's like, well, you do the thing that scares you the most. And I just broke down crying because I knew that that meant leave my wife, quit architecture, leave everything that I've kind of built with her and just start my life over. And uh, I knew I didn't really have a choice. So I went back and I tried to fight it. And the universe is like, no, no, dude, like, this is what you need to do. And so I continued traveling. I worked for a little bit and then continued traveling for another you know, two and a half years or something. And just went deep into it, went deep into different modalities of healing and uh, healed the father wound, which was a huge one for me. Um, I have an incredible relationship with my father now, but it was not like that. And it wouldn't be like it is now if it wasn't for men's work. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that was the catalyst for my entrance into this world. Beautiful. I really appreciate you sharing uh, transparently uh, the, the sort of the origin, if you will, of, of the work. In, in your travels, which it sounds like were, were significant, um, what did you, what, did, what tools did you find most profound, if you will, in, in, in reorienting yourself to center, if you will? Like what, you know, and, and I, I would love to delve more deeply into the archetypes, the actual like king, warrior, magician, lover, and have you kind of um, break that down for, for people. But, but I think for those listening, you know, uh, if I were listening, I'd be like, wow, that's amazing. What did, what, what did you get into over those two and a half years that led you into that, that place of, of transforming your relationship with your father and, and rebuilding your life, right? Like, obviously, you, you, know, you got divorced, you, you left your, your career, your identity, you have now found, found yourself on firm footing in a new one. Um, but I know a lot of people, I, I would argue met many, I think in our generation, right? Like one of the things that's, that's interesting is, you know, in, in perhaps at least I'm probably a little bit older than you, but my father, you know, my father's generation, you, st you stuck with one job and, you know, if you were lucky, you got a gold watch at the end of 30 years, right? Now, now we're living where the average person has at least 11 different jobs, um, is constantly pivoting. And then we also have, you know. You know, Terrence McKenna said the world's changed more in the, since 1992 than it did in the previous thousand years in terms of the advent mm. of, of, you know, time being reified anew, right? It's no longer the sort of the tribal ancestral like sun, sunset to sunrise. People are kind of defining their, their time around tweets and, and, uh, and kind of digital notion of reality. And, and then obviously we won't even necessarily go into, but like there's the pandemic, which, which is, you know, both shown, shown our inherent interdependence, but also led a lot of people to existentially fear other people, which we are tribal, tribal beings and uh, inherently interdependent. So there's this whole new kind of, a lot of inputs <clears throat> that are coming in that are forcing other people to also consider their own identities, their own sense of purpose. Um, and I, and I know many, um, from, from my own insights into the work are looking for tools, um, tools to help them kind of come back to center or come to a place of, 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 of you know, of helping them navigate these uncertain and uncharted waters. What have been some of the tools that have been most helpful for you to, to navigate these, 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 let's call it interesting, but these challenging times? <clears throat> the most profound thing I think I did there was a few, 
Um, and one of the problems that I, that I find a lot of a lot of men have specifically is we're carrying baggage, and we're carrying it because we don't want to offload it. We don't want to share it with anyone. We think we need to carry it ourselves, and it becomes fucking heavy. It's like that old metaphor, you know, how heavy is a, a glass of water? Well, it's not, but if you hold it with your arm outstretched for hours, it's going to get pretty fucking heavy. And I was carrying a lot that I didn't really know what to do with. And I didn't, I'd never done therapy. I'd never done any of this kind of stuff. So kind of naively, but um, one of those things where the universe just continually puts this on your path and you can't ignore it. And after a while, it's just like, fuck, all right, I'll do it. And I sat in a dark room for 11 days and it was one of the most painful things I've ever experienced because the only thing that I had was my thoughts and there was nothing to, you know, you can't see a hand in front of your face. There is no distraction. And when you, when you are only left with your thoughts, you start to really go deep and you start to really get to the bottom of, and the darkness of some really kind of twisted shadows that are there. And, and that was a, that was a proper, that was a rite of passage. That was like, a, I went in there broken and I came out of there a new human being. And the morning after, like I came out at 4.30 in the morning and then, I watched the sunrise and the feeling that sun kissed my face for the first time in 11 days. I was just like crying. And it's just like absolute magic. Um, but there was, I didn't have a strong meditation practice at the time. And that was kind of detrimental to my process. So I ended up going into, into meditation quite deeply and spent, um, did quite a few 10 day silent retreats but ended up doing one for 40 and then that itself became this it felt like a, a giant mushroom trip like i'd just i'd be sitting there in the garden during the day and just tears of joy would roll down my face because i was i'd rediscovered god um i'd spent so much of my adult life believing that God didn't exist because I was raised Catholic and the priest of the church that I went to when I was younger was arrested for pedophilia. And two of the, the teachers at the private school that I was at got done for the same thing. And it was just like, no, this is all bullshit. And so I became, I became an atheist for a while and just to sit in silence for 40 days and to touch a part of you which you've never experienced, to, to realize that actually you are God, was this kind of like, like this inside of just like, holy shit, this, this is what I've been looking for. Everything that I've been chasing, everything like I've been trying to fill this void with alcohol and women and fucking drugs and everything. And it's just, it's been inside of me the whole time. Just this realization that we are actually God. Um, and there was a lot of time with plant medicine. Um, 
but for me the the one of the most powerful tools for emotional healing was breath work and to just sit and breathe for an hour i would go into these contorted fits of just bizarre emotional release and it was just like i'd just i'd be in the process and just be blown away at how powerful this was just by breathing um so for me that's still i consider that to be one of the most powerful modalities um and then obviously to sit in a room of men who are all there with the same goal and to talk about your problems and to have men say, oh, yeah, I experienced that. This is how I dealt with it. Like, oh, fuck, I'm not the only one that does this. Oh, my God. And it's just, yeah, it is a really, really beautiful experience to be able to sit there. And I've had guys come into my men's circle and be like, dude, I've been looking for this for years. And they'll share things which they've never shared with anybody to basically a room full of strangers. But you can feel the safety and the beauty of a container of men who are just there to hold space for you. And um, that's a really, it's a, it's a magical thing. It's something we've been doing since the dawn of time to sit around a campfire with other men and to share stories, to share wisdom, to share music, to share strategy. But then suddenly it's something we've stopped doing and it's kind of, you know, you're faced with a lot of interesting reflection with men that aren't ready to do the work. It's like, oh, you're going to sit in a room full of men. Oh, that sounds gay. It's like, okay, that's it's interesting, man. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah, I think it's one of the most it, – it's one of the most transformative things I've ever done. Um, and I, I think as men, unfortunately, you know, there's this, this sort of this quote unquote alpha culture that is very much based in a stoic idea of, um, you know, <clears throat> you know, grin and bear it, you know, take it on the chin, take it like a man, you know, all of these different, you know, mythologies that have been perpetuated in, in modern masculine <clears throat> culture. We don't have to go too, too deep out there, but <clears throat> obviously the, there's been a there's been a patriarchal, um, you know, there's been an imbalancing, right? And a suppression, <clears throat> if you will, of, of the divine feminine, but also commensurately the divine masculine, because the two need to rise together, right? We have both within all, all of ourselves. And it's, it's interesting to see that sort of play out societally at the moment, um, which, is a, which is an area we can, we can touch on later if you so choose. But, but, but I think to keep it grounded, I feel like... It, you're absolutely right, right? We've had since time immemorial these rites of passage where boys would be shepherded from adolescence into a, a, a demarcated masculinity. You know, like I was, I, I, I studied with a traditional healer in Sri Lanka and, uh, and, and for two years and witnessed these rituals and rites of passage. You know, I saw, I was in South Africa and wound up in a coastal village and saw, you know, 13 young men covered in white powder naked uh, why i was invited into that container i still don't know to this day but um they were about to actually go through an adult circumcision and uh, and and a, and a rite of passage into you know masculinity shepherded by the elders you know and and what that that tradition has looked different obviously across cultures 
But generally speaking, there is a confrontation of profound fear, you know, um, uh, oftentimes uh, something that uh, that causes us to to shift into a new aspect of ourselves and then a welcoming into uh, this notion of what it means to be a man by by the men, sort of, so to speak, of the village. And and oftentimes that that is now spoken about at least for me the way that 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 is given its greatest life or that's that's greatest meaning in a way that people can i think appreciate and understand it today is is through these archetypes right of of the warrior the king the magician the lover these aspects of the mature masculine which also have their immature aspects you know without getting without getting uh without getting political uh very recently in in our own history here in the united states in my view we've, we've seen you know um certain people in power uh, that don't exactly embody the enlightened king. They, they're more the armchair tyrant, which is an aspect of the unindividuated masculine. And I think that's the, that's the risk, right? The risk is without these processes that demarcate and, and shepherd us into a more, a more mature aspects of the masculine, um, we can have uh, prolonged adolescence. And um, a lot of the shadow aspects kind of run amok. And so by no means am I uh, perfect. I've, d- I've done some work, but I'm still working through, uh, you know, certain aspects to, uh, of myself that, that still need to be individuated, if you will. Uh, and we're, we're in a time where there aren't really, we don't exist in these, in these you know, I, I don't know if I share this with you, Nick, but, you know, without going profoundly into the story, I actually developed an obsessive compulsive personality when I was young based in trauma. So I was actually jumped by a group of men. Um, an, an, an expression of the unindividuated masculine um, in Spain, my first experience alone and abroad. So I associated the two things I, I love the most, which is other people and travel with trauma. And I ritualized. Um, so I did what men or people since time immemorial would have done. I just didn't have a culture, a, a community, a religious traffic or spirituality in which that actually made sense. So what it looked like for me was like, I would check the locks all the time, like eight times. I would check the stove 15 times. And I was basically trying to reduce my sense of anxiety um, by creating rituals. Um, and then only when I, when I went to these cultures where I saw that actually ritual has been in place since the dawn of time. And in many cultures, it's still endemic. It's still very much a part of their living and breathing culture. Um, I saw that there, there's, well, well, I couldn't, I would never, you know, I, I was, there's no going back. I was never going to enter into that as a, as a, as a, I was not going to culturally appropriate, appropriate myself into being an authentic expression of that culture. I could also um, learn from some of the, if you will, the ancient sciences, the ancient technologies um, and, and, and appropriately participate where I was invited in various traditions such that I could approximate some of those rites of passage, such that I could find my own communities. And I think what you talk about, for example, with men's group is, is one of those modern ways in which we can find that approximation of, of this ancient gathering of men. And while we don't have uh, you know, a, a culturally endemic rite of passage, many of us in modern day life and living, I think there are ways in which we can move more authentically into the mature masculine. Um, and so I would love if you, if you're willing to share a little bit about um, your own 
for lack of a better term, definition of what it means to be uh, an empowered man, and perhaps a little bit of a discussion around the archetypes that uh, that are the personification, if you will, of, of an embodied man. Yeah, I think you, um, I think you nailed it when you speak of these these men that are in power, and these are uninitiated men, they're traumatized men. And it's highlighted by the way they lead. Now, the, the rites of passage, passage, these initiations, take a boy from a psychological state of being a boy into a psychological state of being a man. And if you don't have that rite of passage, suddenly we have a bunch of men running around society who are still psychologically at the level of boys. And this is when you get a leader of, you know, the, the leader of the free world who comes out and is a Christmas special says, and all of you unvaccinated, you're going to have a, a winter of death and, and hell and whatever else. It's like, dude, regardless of your perspective, that is not how you lead. You don't divide, you bring people together. And this is one of the, it's a, it's a key, you know, you can go back. I think Dr. Gabor Mate talks about, he could sit there and every single president, he could just look at and tell you the trauma that they've got based on the way they behave and the way they act. Um, for me, an empowered man is somebody that does embody the positive attributes of the king, the warrior, the magician, the lover. Um, there's, there's so many different definitions and and a lot of people get very offended because different words are used in different ways and suddenly, you know, there are masculine traits and feminine traits and some people don't like those terms. So that becomes a thing. And then um, I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but you're a bigot if you say that a man, a man cannot have, cannot get pregnant. And there's this, there's this whole kind of, mix up and this jumble of of these terms um so basically what i try and get people to do is just find words that work for them if masculine feminine offends you and it doesn't work use alpha and omega use something else whatever it is one of the biggest issues i think in society is that there is a push for men to be less masculine one of the issues with that is that we live in a society where where men, and this comes from kind of about a hundred years ago, there started to be these social changes where instead of going to work with their dads and working on the farm in this agrarian kind of society, suddenly dads were going off to work and boys were getting raised by their mothers. And then it became the mother's job to teach a boy how to be masculine, how to be male. And then, you know, a, a boy that goes to school most of the time the majority of teachers at a school elementary or primary school most of the teachers are women so suddenly his formative years he's getting taught how to please women and then you have radical feminism and you have this society that is pushing men to be less masculine so now you have all of these men who are kind of have been taught how to please women well, okay, if, if that's what it takes, if I need to be less masculine, then I... And to be fair, the, 
when they speak of being less masculine, they're talking about being less violent and less aggressive and less controlling and less traits of the shadow king and the shadow warrior and the shadow magician and the shadow lover. Um, but when men try to be less masculine, they also give away the positive traits. So we have a society of men who have succeeded in becoming less masculine, but suddenly it's just as toxic as the, as what society considers toxic masculinity. So in a roundabout way, and coming back to your question, what I consider uh, an empowered man to be is somebody that is a leader and he leads from the heart, but he doesn't just lead from the heart. He's also connected to his balls because there's a guy called Trevor Boehm. He's a great men's work coach. He calls it the primal and the divine. If you're too connected to one, not the other, then you're missing out. And if you're too connected to the other one, but not the other, then you're also missing out. And this is the problem that we see in society. We have men who are firmly connected to their balls, but are disconnected completely from their heart. And men who are fully in their heart and you know, they're raised in this kind of being super nice and super sensitive and super caring, but they can't stand up for themselves. They can't stand up for what they believe in. So it's finding the middle ground. It's being connected to both. It's being, yes, compassionate and caring and kind. But in a second, you'll put your foot down and you'll set a boundary and you'll stand up for what is truth and what is what is that you believe in. Um, somebody that blesses others. You know, it's an attribute of the king. Somebody that instead of everything's a competition and you have to be better than the, the next person, which is very tyrannical in, by nature, to kind of walk over people to get to the top, you realize that power is not finite. And a rising, a rising tide lifts all ships and a king will bless other people. And how fucking nice is it to talk to somebody who you look up to and then he turns around and says, hey man, I love how you did that. I really love how you showed up today. And it's like, you know, your chest puffs out a bit, you stand up a little bit taller. Um, a king leaves a legacy. He leaves something that is going to benefit others. Um, maybe that's just a family or maybe that's a business. So, you know, it's, it's a very individual thing. One of the largest or most uh, easily definable things for me, but the difference between a boy and a man is, and psychologically as well, is a boy is very egocentric. And this is by nature, all children are. The world revolves around them. But a lot of men never evolved beyond this so the older you know they grow up they become adult humans but the world still revolves around them whereas a mature masculine he he lives for something greater than himself and this is um it's a really easy thing just to, to kind of see in someone to see how they show up is to see whether or not they're doing things in service or whether they're doing everything for themselves um they're kind of, yeah, kind of the main ones that I see, that I look at a man and I, and I see how he kind of turns up in the world and um, those, are the, those are the traits that I look for. Yeah, I think, it's, <clears throat> I think it's well said that you talk about this notion of the balls and the heart, if you will. Um, because as you said, it, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a tricky dichotomy, but I think there's, 
and even in the feedback I've received from some of the, you know, the, the powerful women in my life, you know, it's this notion of they yearn for a man who actually isn't a pushover, right? Isn't just this like super nice guy. So they actually yearn for some of the qualities of this discerning and strong masculine. But then obviously when that gets taken to its extreme or its shadow aspect, um, then you see also the sort of more misogynistic archetype that, that, that unfortunately is prevalent and is being heavily pushed against with the, the sort of uh, rising of this, you know, uh, of, of this sort of feminist dialogue, which, which ironically also now mirrors some of the, the intense aspects of the, of the misogynistic paradigm, right? So there's, there's, there's aspects of our embodied aspects, whether it be masculine or feminine, that I, that I don't think have yet found harmony. And it is this, at least as my, my teacher would share in Sri Lanka, basically the, this notion of health, which I think also applies to these, these paradigms, is it is balance, right? It is finding that balance between, in your words, sort of that, the heart and the balls, right? For me, it's like when my, when my head, my heart, and my balls are aligned, that's when I'm without question the most um, powerful, but also the most authentic aspect of myself. And uh, it's a tricky, it's a tricky, it's a tricky balance. And it, it's one that it requires all of my practices. And it's one that, it, you know, requires, I think about it almost like a musical instrument. It's like, you know, you know, when, you know, when it's, when it's playing music, beautiful tune. music, we all know, we all know yeah. when it's playing beautifully, beautiful music, but it, it's necessary to tune it every day to be able to, uh, to sort of play that beautiful music. Um, one of the things which is, which is seemingly tangential, but I'd be remiss if we didn't cover it in this conversation, because it's one of the things that I found most powerful in our work together. Um, and it was, it was, a, it was a, a practice that is also ancient, but I don't think is commonly spoken about in, in a lot of the dialogues that I'm, you know, that I see today is the notion of uh, semen retention. And, and, and the way that that correlates to this centering process of also being embodied in one's power, but also, for lack of a better term, leading from the heart, but also in tune with creativity and the creative force, right? I think, especially for men, there's what, what, one of the things that I think leads to the challenge in perpetually being able to attune and, and play beautiful music, to stay in that metaphor, is we're often diluting our creative capacity and also chasing distractions, you know, and distractions that do, that not only take us off center or take us out of tune, but also dilute the potency of our music. Um, and this is a practice you had talked about in the context, I think, of Taoist origination. There was a you had talked about Jing, and I'd love if you kind of broke down kind of your uh, understanding of the practice, its roots, its origins, and then how it can be beneficial for uh, an empowered man. Yeah, so I trained with Mantak Chia in Thailand, and he wrote the book Multi-Orgasmic Man. Um, and the premise is that we have, this is according to Taoism, which is almost 5,000 years old, this ancient tradition in China. And we have three forms of energy within our body. One is chi, which is most most people have heard of it. It's um, it's our life force. You have chi gong. You have these kung fu masters that can break a spear against their neck. This is kind of the life force that you can build up. You get it through the food you eat the, and the drink that you consume. And um, 
it's infinite. The you also have Shen, and Shen is kind of the spirit. So it's not something that you have, but it's something that you open up into. And then there's Jing, and Jing is your primordial primordial life force, and the the quantity and the quality of your Jing depends on the vitality and the health of your parents when you're conceived. According to Taoism, Jing is finite, and we lose it every day, like we slowly deplete it every day. And once you run out, you die. Now, the fastest way for a woman to lose her jing is through menstruation and through childbirth. The fastest way for a man to lose his jing is through ejaculation. Now, when you're younger, you know, you're 14, 15, you just start masturbating. and You can do it multiple times a day, no problem. You you kind of, you don't lose the energy. The older you get, you start to realize that that's not so possible anymore. Now, this is because your jing is kind of depleting rapidly. They say that we have between four and 5,000 ejaculations in our life. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I've spoken to other teachers who believe that there's a way that you can actually harness more jing depending on the practices that you do. But say you have 5,000 ejaculations in your life, that is about, um, I've done the math before, it's, it's something like once a day for 30 years or something. Like it's, it's not much. Um, so the trick is, because whenever I mention semen retention to a lot of people, they're like, well, why would I stop ejaculating? It feels fantastic. And what a lot of people don't realize is that your ejaculation and your orgasm are two separate things. Once you learn to separate that, you can have all the pleasure that you want, but you just retain your energy. So this energy, this jing, is what creates life. It's kind of, it is the exact energy that you create a human life with. It is the most powerful creative energy that we have. Now, if you're depleting this every day or a couple of times a day or a few times a week, the amount of time it takes your body to kind of regulate, if you're continually ejaculating, you are never going to be at a level where your body is kind of in at, at um, you're always going to be depleted, basically. And the first time I sat down with a teacher, he said, go for seven weeks without ejaculating and see what happens to your creativity. I was like, Jesus, man, I can't go for seven hours. And he's like, well, see what happens. And this was just before I went into the 40 days of silence. And I was like, okay, this is it. And just before the end, I happened to have a wet dream. And I'd had two in my life. And then I'd ended up having, I ended up having two in a row and I spoke to somebody else and he's like, yeah, it's because the energy hasn't been moved. There's no point in just stopping pleasuring yourself or stopping ejaculating or stopping having sex. You need to move the energy. The energy is there and it needs to be sublimated. So this is the whole kind of premise behind semen retention. There's this, there's this no fat movement, which is basically you cut, pleasure out of your life which i absolutely disagree with and think it's unhealthy um 
when we learn to sublimate the energy out of our genitals and up through the body into the heart, through the chakras, into the dantian, depending on the tradition that you're going with, this is where life starts to change. And this is where your creativity comes in. And this is where if you're at a party and you see somebody like you see a guy walk into a room and kind of everybody turns and looks, he, he has this air about him. This is the kind of energy that you get when you quit depleting your body. Um, and this is kind of the point that I try to push across to my clients to my men. It's just like in every possible sense, it is of benefit. It's benefit energetically. It's benefit creatively. It's benefit physically. Um, and the amount of pleasure that you can get once you start to cultivate that. The first time I had a full-bodied orgasm, I swore I'd never ejaculate again. It's just there was no comparison. So, so two things I'd love to cover over on that. One is just this notion of of this life force or creative force, because um, it always it it always does. It did strike me that so many people, you know, you know, the ejaculate is what obviously produces life, like literally, right, biologically. Um, and yet is so casually discarded through, through, through most, through most uh, instances. And I think about that just kind of on a, in a sort of like, you know, you talk, think about koans in the Buddhist tradition, right? Which is just sort of these tools that help foster kind of greater reckoning uh, and, and also ideally enlightenment. But I, I've just kind of meditated on the fact that it's like, wow, how, these are all potential uh, lives. And then, uh, Beyond that, like to what degree are, is, are the lives of other creativity beyond, beyond the biological life, right? That is, that is, that is inherently in, inherent in that potential. There's also this energetic and creative life, right? Like, so what are the ways in which, you know, uh, we are depriving ourselves of our greatest creative gift? So you talked about, for example, that seven weeks so we did, I, I participated in, in uh, the Empowered Man with you in the fall and did, uh, as part of that uh, protocol, I did six weeks. Um, and what I can share is that for me, the level of, you know, I think there's, this goes back again, I think to tools. For me, for example, I just did recently a year and a half off alcohol. And, the, and without question, that's not the point of this conversation, but the degree to which I tapped more into myself and my inherent potential, my creativity by not diluting myself or taking myself off center with alcohol is unequivocal. Like, you know, and I'm not saying alcohol is, you know, I'm not saying bad for everyone. Don't ever have a drink. It's just to say, I, I realized in myself in that, in that, in that, uh, in that journey that I was profound what I could tap into when I abstained from alcohol, I would say, although I didn't do it as long, but in that, in the six week period um, that I, that I did this uh, retention uh, practice. Similarly, like the degree of creativity, the amount of ideas, my journaling, my my professional work, like like beyond also just like the the sort of like considerations around like the biological energy. There was also just like this like creative um, presence in me in terms of how I showed up and anecdotally people commenting on it, like you said, like when you walk into a room, just your way of being, but then also just in terms of the level of my creative force, like, 
if we're, you know, in the Elizabeth Gilbert wrote a, a great book called Big Magic, where she articulates that actually our creativity isn't us, egoically us. It's more we're a vessel. And, and if we're receptive, things are, are graceful enough to move through us. And if that is the case, as a vessel, I felt I felt more powerfully held and my and the creative force, the muse was speaking more potently and musically through me, shall we say. Um, and so I think that was for me unequivocal. Now, what I'd love to ask you more about, because I'm sure many people who are listening have a curiosity, is you mentioned this idea of the full body orgasm um, and also this idea of the non-ejaculatory orgasm. So I, I, I am, and I don't know how, how in depth you can go in this conversation, but how does one achieve a non-ejaculatory orgasm? Like what is the process to, to get to that place? And what are the benefits of non-ejaculatory orgasms? So it's, it is a process and it's, um, it's something, you know, trying to be as concise as possible. If you, if you imagine your body as a balloon and the sexual energy gets built up. Okay. You know, the clown balloons, you know, the really long balloons. Yeah. Okay. This is an easy way to describe it. So these things get super long, but in the beginning, they're very thin and flaccid. And so most guys, 99% of guys, the sexual energy builds up and it becomes this little ball and it can't go anywhere. So they release it. And then it builds up again and they're like, oh, I'm sexually frustrated. I need to ejaculate. I need to fuck. And they release it. The issue is for most people, energetically, our lines, our channels are blocked. So it gets up, it gets to a point where it builds up. And this is what happens when you don't sublimate. This is what happens if you just stop pleasuring yourself, but you don't do any practices. It'll build up and it'll get to a point where you're frustrated and you just need to release. The idea is that you begin to unblock your energetic channels. Yoga, kundalini, massage, tantric massage. There are, there are many ways to do it, breath work. Once you start to unblock your channels, you can then start to cultivate this energy. If you don't ejaculate, then you, then you maintain, like you actually, you don't lose the energy. So you continue to cultivate, you continue to pleasure yourself. The energy builds up, you sublimate. Suddenly, instead of your balloon just having a little bit of air down here, you start to expand. And energetically, you're expanding your energetic body. Now, one of the issues for a lot of men is that sex comes with a goal. And that goal might be to make their partner orgasm. It might be for them to ejaculate. When you have a goal, then you're in your head. And if you're in your head, you're not present. And if you're not present, you can't feel the pleasure that is in your entire body. And you cannot you know, ask the majority of women, the greatest turn on in the bedroom is a man's presence. So if you're stuck in your head, then you, you're kind of fucked. The idea is that you're fully present and then you're fully aware of every sensation that's happening in your body. Through that awareness and it takes practice, you start to notice that even just like a little slight rub on your shoulder will give you a sense of pleasure. 
if you're stuck in your head and you're focusing on your dick and and kind of how much how close you can get to ejaculation or whatever it is you're going to miss that so presence is number one semen retention is number two unblocking energetic channels is number three and eventually at some point when you're not trying to achieve it because if you're trying to achieve achieve a full body if you're trying to achieve a full-bodied orgasm then it's it becomes another goal um eventually over time your energetic capacity is so huge that the first time i had one i still had my pants on and this girl just rubbed her fingers across my chest and it just sent me into this like convulsion of pleasure that i'd never experienced before and i was just it was mind-blowing so in short presence semen retention full awareness of body Mm. and take the goal out of it beautifully said i would i would add for those listening one of the the greatest tools and you shared this a bit earlier outside of the context of this particular practice but um I think as it relates to control, self-control, and also extension of pleasure, um, just tapping deeply into the breath, right? For me, at least, breath has been so central um, in my own practice, but also sinking breath and then also utilizing breath to to return to the body and get out of of the mind, you know, Um, and also to to control you know, to control oneself as it relates to, to de- developing discipline um, and preventing, you know, uh, ejaculation. I feel like the breath has been just like an absolute portal to possibility. Um, so beautifully said, um, I want to ask for those listening. So there's, there's various um, tools, uh, practices, teachers, and I'd love your insights into some of your favorites. Um, for me, when I started this journey, uh, well, I started, you know, there's a lot of books that were, that were seminal that, that were not necessarily around men's work, but like black elk speaks and a variety of other books that I love, but particularly as it relates to men's work, um, you know, some classics like way of the superior man by David data, um, uh, King warrior, magician lover was, a, was a huge, uh, insightful book. Um, you, you mentioned the multi-orgasmic man. Are there teachers uh, or books or courses, retreats, etc.? And obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll tap into you and your work um, before we close. But that, that are that, that were that were formative in your own development, or that you really recommend for those listening that people can tap into to to sort of further their own journey. One of my teachers who I've been with for over a year now, I think, um, is, his name is John Wineland. Um, and as far as masculine, feminine energetics is fantastic. He was a student of David Data for the last 10, 15 years or so and has a very, has a softer approach to kind of trans, you know, transcribing that, that message and it's, I just, I love how he does it. I love the way he, he does it. Um, there's a guy called Chris Bale, um, Awakened Intent on Instagram. He, this guy is, is rather incredible and I've, I've had a few conversations with him and his workshops are very, very powerful. Um, 
there's no bullshit. There's no softness. It's he speaks truth, and you kind of you can tell. You sit there and you listen to him, and it's just like, holy shit, man! Like this this guy is it. Um, they're my two most kind of profound teachers at the moment that I'm that uh, I really enjoy listening to. Uh, as far as books, Iron John, I think is crucial. Um, I mentioned Trevor Bowen before. He has a book called Man Uncivilized, which is also f- really fantastic as far as men's work. Um, no More Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Robert Glover is an incredible book that really describes the problem that we have with the pendulum going from this inverted commas, toxic masculinity to this Mr. Nice Guy and how you mentioned that the, the women want people, want men that can set boundaries and they want men that are assertive and they, and this is the issue that, you know, the pendulum has swung the other way and now men are marshmallows and they can't stand up for themselves. They can't say what they want. And this is really not what women want. So his book, he's been a, a, um, marriage therapist and couples therapist for 20, 30 years or something. He's a really amazing guy. That's kind of, they're the books and the, and the guys that I would look into for sure. Yeah. Those are some beautiful recommendations. Actually, John has agreed to come on the show. I got to get him on soon because uh, you're, you're not the first, he's come up actually multiple times in the last week or two. And I always take, I always yeah. take notice when that, when that happens. Um, Beautifully said. Okay. And where can people, if they want to tap more deeply into your work, I just noticed because obviously we're friends and I follow you that you're, you're going to do another session of the empowered man, which is the work that I did with you, but I know you do a variety of different breathwork trainings, etc. cetera. Um, if people want to learn more about you and your work, where's the best place to find you? Best place, the place I'm most active is on Instagram, which is just at Nick Warner and I C W A R N E R. And then, yeah, the Empowered Man actually cohort three starts next week, but I have um, I have a medicine and masculinity retreat which I'm running in Peru. So that's for six men, plant medicine, sweat lodges, breath work, men's work. It's going to be really quite powerful, and that's the start of April. Mm. Um, so yeah, beautiful. Well, I'll uh, I'll actually put this out sooner rather than later so that people who are listening can benefit from from that work i'll say two things um just be very very uh which you're well aware of and which is why i but be very careful for those listening i get asked a ton about like people uh you know where to sit as it relates to plant medicine and i've, I've done whole shows on this topic but uh beware of the fake shamans and the uh um as it's becoming more commercial and commodified, I think one has to be more careful than ever about where they sit and definitely follow people through referrals and know that they, you know, you wouldn't go to uh, someone who read about something, uh, you know, surgery, you wouldn't go to a doctor read about surgery in the library. Uh, so you want to, you know, you want to go to someone who's experienced, got 30 years of experience. And I know Nick, that you tap into some of those uh, communities. So um, for those listening, that's a, yeah. That's exactly how I've had a lot of, I do get a lot of guys that come to me and say, Oh, I want to, I want to drink medicine. Where should I go? 
And I was in Peru in September and I sat with his Shipibo guy who's been serving for 40 years. And I was just like, fuck, man, this guy is so profound that actually I want to bring men to him. Yeah. Um, so that's exactly what this is. It's a safe container with a guy that I know and I've drunk with and I trust. And it's in a really beautiful space in Sacred Valley in Peru. And yeah, it's going to be quite fantastic. Yeah, man. Well, I want to actually uh, offline. I'll talk to you more about that because uh, I want to learn more. But it's it's so it's so critical. I mean, I'm actually recording here in Tulum, and I've just heard, unfortunately, too many stories of people without appropriate intake. You know, people with psychological challenges where no one even asked them if they had a challenge before they drank medicine, and and no in, no orientation on integration work. And I just just I always put it out there like it's of the most powerful tools on the planet when held with the right people. And there are certain people who dedicate their lives to being uh, in sacred commitment to that work. Um, and so, so following that right course is so essential. And, and to the point of sweat lodge, I just say one of the things I have been doing here because it's so endemic to this area and, and, and so beautiful is I've been doing Temescals, um, which for those listening who don't know, it's, it's basically the Mexican orientation around this ancient practice of the sweat. And it's transformative in its own regard. I mean, just the heat itself is is a crucible. Um, and you go through the four directions um, and four rounds through the course of the sweat. And you really get to confront, um, you get to confront these, these, these archetypes, if you will, in, in, in a very interesting dynamic, you know, at least in the, in the, the traditions that I've sat, there's actually rounds dedicated to this notion of, of the, the mature feminine as well as the mature masculine. And there's an opportunity to step into the, this warrior archetype and, and release the things that no longer serve you and to do so through testing your absolute limits uh, through, through, through heat and, uh, and, and offering ourselves in a way to the fire. And it's, it's one of the most beautiful practices as well that I've found in my own uh, journey. So I love that you're mentioning those. And yeah, in terms of the empowered man, I, I, I did the last, was with the last cohort with Nick um, in the fall and uh, definitely can recommend it. I, I feel like, as you said earlier, there's, there's very few, I think, especially as it relates to men, there's, there's, there's nothing like the medicine of community as it relates to other, to, to men sharing their stories and realizing especially as a relate, you know, Brene Brown, for example, talks about shame. And, and you know, as you mentioned, Gabor Mate, so much of so many of our addictions are rooted in trauma. And, and there's nothing like listening to other men and realizing how much of our work is their work, and their work is our work, and how much we share in, in our, in our journeys that, that we, we somehow feel because we, we hold it in secret as a, as in shame or, or in trauma. That, that we feel like it's unique to us, but, but there's a liberation and I think healing in confronting that um, and speaking it out loud in a group of men that is um, unprecedented in its ability to heal. So um, really want to honor it and acknowledge you for that work and holding space for, for men to do that work. And it's been a pleasure talking with you. Likewise. Thank you so much, Mike. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure. I have a feeling we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll chat again, and uh, and thank you, Nick, for 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 everything you're doing for the world, brother. Thank you, brother. Nice to see. You.